Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I need to pay attention to what's going on. I was back there and thinking, and oh, I need to go out here. Good to have you with us this morning. It's a wonderful September uh, day, and we're, if you're a guest here, and uh, we're so glad that uh, you're with us. And if you've come back and you're checking us out again, man, wow, we're honored to have you. Uh, we're uh, a lot of things going on right now. If you if you look in the bulletin, lots of stuff happening. I want to talk about a few of them first uh, before we get into this lesson. First of all, I really enjoyed the marriage retreat last weekend. It was a fantastic time. Dub and Connie uh, did a fantastic job, again, of uh, presenting, uh, I think, a very, very touchy topic and it can be can be interesting topic. And um, really, I hope you'll think about you married couples will think about next year. We're already planning it. We've already got a, a place we're considering and the dates in, in September. We'd love to have you. I don't, like I say, it was just, in, it was really a good time for everyone there at Grand, at uh, Giant City State Park. Great time. Uh, also, uh, there's a fall fest coming. You probably noticed the banners. Yeah. Our fall fest is coming up. It's nice that we're getting, uh, past COVID and we're starting to see some things. Uh, uh, ramp up and this uh, fall fest we're having in October. Uh, you can help us all if uh, if you haven't been shoulder tapped yet. Somebody's going to ask you maybe to help with a booth or help uh, financially with a booth or if you'd like to help, you know, uh, just write it down your uh, communication card that's there in your bulletin. I'd like to help with a booth, maybe to build one or provide some financial help of some sort. We're going to be giving out lots of candy, having lots of things for families, and uh, we would love for you uh, to to help us out with that. We're going to need lots of volunteers. A couple of another thing I wanted to point out in the bulletin was this good news breakfast is next Saturday, and we hope you if you'd like to come and we share good news. It's a great time to connect with some folks, and we'd love to have you. And that'll be here on the campus here. As well as after that, uh, Mark Landon is is uh, asking, and you can meet Mark, and Mark stand up real quick. He's the man with the Raiders of the Lost Ark hat, okay? He, <laughs> no, Mark Mark uh, is represents Church on the Streets, and he has been working with that now for quite some time, and he's needing some help sorting out stuff. They're beginning to ramp up again their clothing, and they need some help organizing it. You can talk to him at the Welcome Center. Just look for the hat, Mark's under it, and he'll explain everything uh, to you of how you can help. He's wanting eight volunteers, but he could always use more because there's always room for that. Okay, so we're at a series, a new series. We're called Decisions, Decisions, and you're probably noticing what's all these doors doing up here. And Sue, uh, Cress, and some volunteers helped put this display together of all the different kinds of doors that we have. Have you ever counted how many doors you have in your house? By the way, there's a, about a hundred doors here at Greater Alton Church. 135 cabinet doors. You actually counted them, Tim? Yes, I did. But I don't know if you ever thought about how many doors are in your house. And there's all kinds of different kinds of doors, too. There's the front door, of course. Everybody's got one of those, right? And the back door. Why is it the back door gets used more than the front door in most homes? I don't know. That We have uh, closet doors. And there's always this real handy door that we have in the house, the bathroom door. Aren't you glad there's a door there? Whoo! 
don't go in there. Yeah. And then there's the bedroom door. There's just all these different doors. There's French doors, sliding doors, patio doors, screen doors, storm doors. One time, uh, this, this, earlier this year, I replaced all the hinges and doorknobs in our house, uh, with a different color. And I had to count several times and I still didn't get the count right. I always missed a door here and there. And so, uh, and what are these doors? Well, we go through them every day. Today, you've already went through several doors. You got, you used a door to get in your vehicle to get here. And afterwards, you might be going to a restaurant and you'll go through their doors. Uh, we face doors that we don't even think about anymore. We go through without even thinking. They're trivial, right? And there's some that you, you, when you go in, you go, Oh, I'm at the bank or I'm at a government building. And so you're aware of this particular door. Life is full of doors. We use the word door as a metaphor or it symbolizes things like, uh, an opportunity that a, a, a door may have opened in your life, we'll say, or somebody will say, you know, uh, you, someone's like the idea of knocking. You need to knock that on that door of opportunity. Uh, there are locked doors. I don't know how many of you keep your, how many of you keep your house unlocked? Don't let the rest of us know this. <laughs> what are they going to take? Right, exactly. Help yourselves. Yeah, we, we have locked doors. We have sticky doors, stubborn doors, you know, uh, all kinds that we face and decisions, uh, are associated with doors. We come up to a door and go, I wonder what's behind this. Or I wonder, or, and they're different shapes, different colors, different ideas, different moments in our life. We come to a, a choice and we come up and go, oh, it's locked. I can't get in that one. Or I don't have the key. So I might have to knock on the door. And some of us, I don't know how you are when it comes to knocking. If you don't want to, I've been door knocking with people and the, the scareder and the more frightened you are, is the is the days you knock real softly. And then you got somebody always with you. It's going bam, bam, bam. We know you're in there. We want to invite you to church. And they send the dog after you. I've been bit by dogs, man. But there's doors like this all the time and we meet them. Remember, let's make a deal. In fact, I think it's still on on the game show network. The tension that was always there when I got, when he'd say, okay, you get a choice between door number one, door number two, or door number three. And then the crowd goes, three, three, two, two, one, one, one. And they're going, and the tension is just going. And then finally, okay, you've had enough time. Make your decision. And why is this person so afraid to make a choice? Because they know behind one door is something so exciting and so good and they can't, a new car! How'd they do that behind that door? It's amazing. And sometimes it's you get zonked, and they don't want to get zonked. And how many times have you said, it's door number one, it's door number one, that's the good one, you know, and, and they open it up, it's zonked. I went, I meant to. You know, and and, and uh, honestly, when you stop and think about it, there are lots of doors that we face in life. And um, at different moments. And uh, just like, let's make a deal... We're not sure what's behind that door. We have an idea. And the tension sometimes begins, the heart rate begins to rise because we just don't want to get zonked. 
For example, some doors might be in the idea of of relationships like I want to I want to marry well, but I don't want to get zonked. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands if you've ever been zonked. Uh, uh, but there's times we probably all have went, I think I got zonked. But we worry about that. What, the kind of friends I'm going to have, the kind of marriage, the partner I'm going to share with. I've watched several people. I've, I'm old enough now come down the aisle to get married and they are so sure they have got the right person only a year later to be already not in the same home. But it's not just a, a marriage. Uh, who do you marry? Sometimes it's the, that door we face. Sometimes it's, well, what am I going to do with my life? What's my career going to be? You know, what am I choosing to do? What do I want to be? You know what I'm talking about, right? We sit there and going, oh, I wonder, we're setting, we're going through school and someone maybe we heard for the first time will say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you go, and that question just will not leave. It, it, it's there every year you go to school and then it's time to, to, you're graduating and you're going, well, what am I going to do? You begin, you, you ask a guidance counselor to help you figure it out at school. You ask your friends. You do some research. Sometimes it's, it's, maybe it's not just a career, but it might be as something as, well, um, what college am I going to go to? We have a heritage here. We, 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 we talk about that all the time. We, we talk to our, 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 our uh, kids, our junior high students, our high school students as they get closer to graduation. Where are you going to go to college? Are you going to go local or are you going to go away? And, and there's the tension of, I don't know which college to choose. Am I right about that? Yeah, you know it's true. And if it isn't that, it's just how you spend your money. I want to buy a house. Well, should I buy this house? Should I buy that house? And you have people say, don't get that house and you'll still buy it. Or don't get that car. I mean, which, which, which should I do here? Should I buy a Ford or a Chevy? Or should I go for the gusto and get a Dodge? I'm sorry, I couldn't help that. But you know, the, the, these decisions we make, how much money should I be generous with? How much should I save? There's lots of financial decisions that, that we face and the anxiety that goes with it. Can I afford this? Should I, should I wait? Should I save? Even which church you go to. The church you decide to go to sometimes, it's hard to make that choice. Should I go here? Should I go there? I like this. I don't like that. I like this. I, I don't really like that anymore. You know, and, and so the tension of what would I, what, what should I do? And it's like a door. We're not sure. We only are going to know when we come to the door and walk through the door that we, we find out was it a good choice or not? How we spend our time. What am I going to do today? What am I going to put in my body? There's all of these choices that we face. Different moments in our lives. Different shapes, different sizes. From trivial to major decisions. And as a believer, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, my goal has got to be more than I don't want to get zonked. I mean, what's the goal of a believer? Well, the Bible tells us here, if you look up here on the screen and in your notes, look what, the, what, what Paul tells a group of believers in Ephesus. He says this 
He says, figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Figure it out. And decide to do it. Just a few verses later, look what he says. Don't be foolish. Who wants to be that? He says, but recognize what is the will of the Lord. So what should be my goal as a a follower of Jesus? Well, it's got to be more than I don't want to get zonked. No, my goal should be I want to please the Lord. I want to figure out what his will is. And above all, I want to do that. I want to choose that door. That's why the greatest decision you can ever make is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the best decision you could make. The greatest one. And how you're going, and, and what kind of relationship is it going to be? Is it going to be close? You see, all these choices matter. And so when I come to this door of decisions, and as we're looking at this idea in the next few weeks, you know, what am I really wanting? I want to encourage you to want what God wants. So, how do we start this series, Tim? Well, I, I want to talk about some things that um, I just notice about the, the will of God when I study my Bible. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I just notice these things, all right? And I want to pass them on to you this morning. So, what, what, what does God want me to, to recognize about His will? That's what we're looking at. Well, number one, the will of God is designed for my good. The will of God is good. The The will of God is always good. Now, I'm not saying that following the will of God doesn't isn't sometimes hard or difficult or unpleasant. But it's always good. And it's good for you. It's good for me. Proverbs three, Solomon says these words to his son, trust the Lord completely and don't depend on your own knowledge with every step you take. Think about what he wants. And he will help you go the right way. I notice he says you, you, every, every decision you make in life, every choice you make, bring what he wants into that picture. And what will you experience? The right path, a smooth path, the best path. See, God wants you to know his will and he promises to help you discover what that will is. Look at the, it's here in Psalm 32. This is probably the, the passage that's the theme of this of this series. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. He's promising to guide you and I. He's promising to supply what He wants. He wants you to know what it is. You know, for many, again, for many Christians, decision-making in the will of God is a very frustrating and confusing process. Am I the only one that's ever experienced that? Am I right about that? It's very tough sometimes. I'm not sure what to do. This, this, this decision is, is more difficult and sometimes it's very unpleasant. But I want you to remember, if you're facing a choice or decision you make and it, you experience something unpleasant or you experience, you're experiencing something difficult, just remember it's ultimately good. It's good. It's for the best. You may not understand it. I may never understand it. But I know it's always for the best. 
Joseph, see, Joseph experienced that. When you look at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, one of the things about Joseph was he was rejected by his family, placed in a well to leave to die. Then here comes his brothers back. Oh, good. They've changed their mind. Yeah, they did. Instead of letting you die, they're going to make some money off you. They sell him as a slave. And he's he's at Potiphar's house as a slave. He's mistreated. Accusations, untrue things said about him. And he is put in prison. I don't know about you, but following this, following the Lord can be. If you ask Joseph, it kind of sucks. This isn't fun at all. But yet the Bible says wherever he was, the Lord prospered him. Why? Because he trusted the Lord in those moments. And it's just interesting to me that, that, that he would say these words at the, after experiencing all this, he would say this to his brothers, when they finally were reunited, he says these words in Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good. And look, to save the lives of many people, which is being done. And by the way, when you look at that idea of God's will, it relates to saving people. God's ultimate will is about connecting with his the people he's created and if he has to save them to make it so he will do that and that's good that's why jesus is good so that's the first thing the will of god is designed for my good here's the second thing the will of god can be hidden sometimes we don't know what god is up to he has a will but it seems to be a secret. It seems to be hidden from us. Here in Deuteronomy 29, 29 is an example of a passage. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. and Look what he says to them. There are some things that the Lord our God has kept secret. Only he knows these things. But he told us about some things. And these teachings are for us and our descendants forever. And we must obey all the commands in the law. What's he saying? He says, there's some things God does not tell us. Well, that's not fair. That's life. How many parents here have their kids go through that why stage? Why? 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 And by the way, they never outgrow it. I've got some in their 30s and they go, but why? 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 And there's, remember when they'd say that? Why you got, why do I got to do that? Why do you want me to do that? And we'd say, just, you just need to do it. What, what's the problem? We know that, first of all, we don't have the time to explain it. And the second thing is, their brains would explode if you tried to explain it. They can't understand it. And if God's ways are above my ways and your ways, there's some things that, Tim, it just take too much time. By the time you understand it, you'll be dead. And we just need, I just need you to do this. I need you to accept this. It's, but you're keeping it from me for your own good because you just, you don't need to know why. You just need to do it. And I know that's, and no one likes to hear this. But that's how God operates sometimes. There's just some things He doesn't go into a long explanation of. It's a secret. And yet it's going to get done. This is called God's sovereign will. It's the the scope of what he's really trying to accomplish without giving you and I all the details. And by the way, his will will be done 
with or without my cooperation. Look at this in Daniel 4. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. This is after God disciplines him because he's such a prideful big head. He's going, look at everything I did. And God says, oh, really? Well, guess what? You're going to be walking around like a cow grazing and eating grass. And that's exactly what happens in Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he's a, and it's a real Babylonian king. And after he goes through this process, this is what he says in Daniel 4. All the people of the earth are nothing when compared to him. He's talking about God. He does whatever he thinks best among the angels of heaven as well as here on earth. No one can stop him or challenge him saying, what do you mean by doing these things? He answers to no one. He doesn't answer to me. I answer to him. And see, God's sovereign will is this plan that He has in place, again, that's going to happen whether we cooperate or not. And He would love for us to be a part of that plan. But He isn't going to explain all of it to us. There are just some doors we go through, we don't know what's going to happen. But we know God has opened that door in front of us. And there's all kinds of examples. Look at the life of Job who did not know what was going on. All he knew is everything was going haywire. He didn't know what the source was. And he, do, he, he was confident that his life was, was pretty good shape. But what we find out is God allows Satan to really attack Job. And it's not till the end of the book of Job that Job begins to realize, oh, this is what was going on. But most of the time it was hidden from him. God did not tell him, oh, by the way, Satan's going to be picking on you next week, so get ready. No, he didn't tip his hand. He wanted to see if Job and the devil are talking. He says, look, I just want to make sure he's faithful. I'm telling you, he's a faithful man. Well, let's find out. And no cheating. Okay, have your way with him. Joseph's the same way. Again, he did not know why he was, what did I do wrong? I've been an upstanding, upright fellow. I've told the truth, didn't take anything. And yet I'm being accused of something. I'm going to prison. And this is getting ridiculous. God doesn't tell him. Later, he connects the dots. Later, he's able to see some things. But at the moment, he, he doesn't see clearly what God is up to. All he knows is God is up to something. God is working. Abraham is another example. He doesn't fully understand why he has to leave a country or why he has to really sacrifice his son. He's just going to trust the Lord. And he does, and it works out. But at the time, he has no clue. There's this example after example. Queen Esther. She, she's a Jew that becomes queen in Persia. And Mordecai, her uncle, says to her, you know, the Jews are about to be killed by the Persians. The Persian king Xerxes is about to... Well, he passes an edict to kill the Jews. And Esther's go, what am I going to do? I'm a Jew. And Mordecai says, well, maybe it's for such a time as this. You're in the right place at the right time. And by the way, she is at the right place at the right time. Doesn't understand it. But because she's at the right place at the right time, God put her there without explaining. She's able to save Israel. She's able to save God's people. See, when you trust the Lord, you're able to do things that that you don't even, can't even imagine you can, that God can make you do and let you do. And there's the Apostle Paul. I love in Acts where he says things like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, 
when I get there. But I know the Holy Spirit warns me that the stuff's going to happen. He goes, I'm not sure quite what exactly is going to happen. And when he's in prison, this man is in prison. He's telling the church of Philippi, well, something good is happening because I'm in prison. Because the whole palace guard now knows the gospel and you're encouraged by my chains. But I don't know if at the time he knew exactly what God was up to. All he knew was this. I'm going to trust the Lord in the doors he opens before me. Can you do that? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Just trust the Lord as you go through doors like that. I don't know. I want to tell you something that happened during the marriage retreat. After the marriage retreat's over, people are leaving, you know, here and there. And uh, I'm saying goodbye to uh, Denise and I are saying goodbye to Deb and Connie. And we get in our, you know, get in the truck and off we go. And we're taking the giant city park road to Carbondale. And then we're going to meander our way back home. And we're about two miles away from Carbondale when my phone rings. It's Mark. And he goes, hey, Tim, we got a problem. I go, what's on? He goes, well, you're not going to believe this. But one of the couples here had a flat tire. And I go, okay, well, um, they don't have a spare and I need your, you know, can you help me? I said, okay, what do you need from me? Well, where are you? I said, I happen to be two miles from Walmart. He goes, oh, that's great. Could you get a can of fix-a-flat and bring it back to the lodge? Because it's only 10 miles. Bring it back to the lodge and we'll, and we'll just air it up. They'll be on their way. Lickety-split. Great idea. He goes, and then I hear him. He goes, oh, Richard's here. Richard's going to go with me. So Richard and Megan and Mark and Debbie are, and, he, and I said, okay. He goes, uh, so where they broke down? Well, they broke down this other road going the other direction. You see, I missed my turn. And when I missed my turn, I cleared the hill and there they were. Oh, you missed your turn. Yeah, originally you would have turned. Yeah, that's a good thing because they are, they don't have a spare. So I said, okay. So I go to Walmart. I buy my fix a flat. I'm coming back and the phone rings again. Hey, Tim, this is Richard. What's going on? Well, I'm down here. And this tire is dead. I mean, it's got a hole out the side. We can't fix a flat. It ain't going to work. Well, what do you need me to do? Well, I need a tire. Oh, we go, okay. Well, Mark's getting a tire. And Mark's going to get the tire, and he's going to bring it to Walmart. It feels like a couple of third graders trying to figure out how to stay all night at somebody's house. We're going to do this and do this, and the planet's going to line up. You know, <laughs> Okay, I'll go to Walmart, and I'll buy... I'll buy a tire. I'll have it ready. We'll have a tire ready when you get there. So I go to back to Walmart. We go. And so I get to Walmart. And I said, I'm looking for a tire. And, and Richard sent me the size. It's this size. He goes, oh, that's a rare tire. What do you mean it's a rare tire? Yeah, it's, a, it's a Honda. It says we have one. How many do you need? I just need one. Well, let me go check. And he's gone for a while. And he comes back. You're not going to believe this. Look, we got only one. I go, wonderful. I call up Mark. Hey, Mark, I got the tire. They only had one. He goes, and the only one they had, he goes, Tim, let me tell you my side of the story. And I go, what? He goes, well, I get, I missed the turn, right? I get down there and Richard's down there and, and I, I, he has a jack he happened to carry because they didn't have a jack. He happened to carry a jack in his car. We get the jack out and I put my, he puts his lug wrench, uh, on, uh, and it does, doesn't fit. 
didn't fit up. Well, wait a minute. I'm telling you. Yeah. So he's sitting there going, it just don't fit. Well, Mark goes, well, let's check mine. Oh, it fits. So he takes off three of them. And there's another one. Well, this, my lug wrench doesn't fit this one. It must be a different lug wrench. And Richard goes, well, let's check mine. It fits. Mark goes, can you believe that? I go, uh, I go, I don't know what to say. And so we, it all comes together. They're back on the road, and there we are. Well, that was just a coincidence. Okay. It could be. But what a crazy coincidence, huh? What's God? And I said, well, you know, leave it to church on the streets. Man, you take that literally. And I said, you're at the right place at the right time. And he goes, well, if I hadn't have missed that turn off. Because there was no cell phone signal down there. And so we really, and the story just gets more and more. I have to ask myself, is the sovereign will of God working there? And I don't understand it. I believe the sovereign will of God is working. When I don't even, it's going to get done. It got took care of. And what could have ruined a weekend for a couple ended up, this couple got to see, this is how God's people handle stuff like this. This is how servants think. I just loved it. And I got to be a part of it. Not all of it. That was what, it was really cool to see that. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm really talking about here is, is that do we, do we, are we aware that God is working? Because God's sovereign plan is at work. Here in Ephesians 1, look at this passage. Moreover, Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He wants them to know about the sovereign will of God. And he says, moreover, in other words, this is something that's just, you've got to know. Because of what Christ has done, His redemption, the saving act of God with His Son dying on the cross, we have become gifts to God that He delights in. For as part of His sovereign plan, or a part of this, church, you're a part of this plan, we were chosen from the beginning to be His. Before you were born, before anybody was made, you were chosen his sovereign plan. Before you could even have a brain to think about it and ask why, God says, I've chosen you long before. And all things happen just as He decided long ago. He's saying God's making things happen in your life and they're based on His sovereign will, what He wanted long before you were even born. And so church, if that's true, and I believe it to be true, then I can approach any door in front of me with some confidence that God's going to help me sort out which decision should I make and when I should make it. He sets the times and places, the exact places where men will live. Why? So they'll reach out to Him and and perhaps find Him. It's not coincidental you met a Christian that shared the gospel with you. And it's not coincidental you happened to be here this morning. Oh, you say, I got up on my own and I got in my car on my own. I hit the key. I hit the gas. I'm here. Yeah, I know. And it's part, if God didn't want you here, you would have not made it. It's a part of his sovereign plan. He wants to connect with you. He wants to be with you. 
He wants a relationship with you and everybody else you meet. But sometimes it's a secret. It's a secret. I'm not going to know everything. He's not going to bother to tell me. I just need to trust him. Here's the third thing about God's will. God's will may include some options. That's nice. You ever buy a car and they go, well, here's some options. You can have power steering, power brakes, you know, power this, power that, Coke dispenser. Oh, that's great. And sometimes God's will can include some options. I used to think that God only gave you like two choices. You do right or you do wrong. Turn or burn. Either lust or don't lust. Steal or don't steal. Those are easy. I get that. That's black and white. Like your bulletin cover. Those arrows. Some of them are black and white. Got it. I don't have to have any explanation. You say don't do it, no problem. Got it. And there's things that are in the Bible that are that specific. But sometimes God says, I'm going to let you choose. They're gray. In fact, as I've gotten older, I notice there's a lot more gray doors that I face than black and white. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And why? Because God gave you a brain so you could use it So you could choose. He trusts that you, by following Him, your choices will get wiser and wiser. You know, when I was 20-something, I I thought I knew everything. But I I thought I had a lot of knowledge, but I know I didn't. I'll tell you, looking back, I didn't know what I thought I knew, and I didn't have a lot of wisdom. I are older now. And I can tell you, do I have more knowledge? Yeah. Do I have more wisdom? Yes. But I still need more of both. And you know, you, and you find this out. There's some decisions you go, oh, I already know what to do there. Because the experience you've had, trusting the Lord over the number of years. That's why some of you are so much wiser than others of, of us. Because you've been through that and you've faced that and you've figured out something that I haven't figured out yet. There are just some things that are... that. God just says, look, there's more than one choice, Tim. I heard this years ago with Rex Crossland as we looked at a little book called Decision Making in the Will of God. And I go, really? Yeah, Tim, there's more than just should I chew or should I not? Should I smoke? Should I not? Should I drink? Should I not? I mean, he was, he says, Tim, you know, because I was a youth minister, everything had to be very black and white. That's what parents wanted me to be. And that's what I thought was safe. But sometimes it's gray. And that threw me for a loop. Always did. And the Bible does give us options. He Listen, this is very important you catch this. He gives you the freedom and the responsibility to choose. There's some responsibility that goes with it. I know people... Maybe somebody in the side is going, oh yeah, gray areas. Oh, that's, that gives me freedom to do whatever I want. No, it does not. You've got, you've got more responsibility there. God took the responsibility off of you when he makes it black and white. I mean, there's some, but there's a whole lot more responsibility when it's gray. And he gives you the freedom to make that choice. Let me give you some examples. The first one's in Genesis 2. From the very beginning, the very first rules. The very first commands, whatever you want to call them, were there was freedom. 
Look what he says to the man, to Adam. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I listened, I read a, a red illustration I thought was so funny. He said, imagine Adam and Eve, they're getting ready to have supper. And Eve's going, honey, I'm, I'm trying to think what we ought to have for supper tonight. Uh, do you have any ideas? No, no, you got me. Well, would you go ask the Lord? Because I really want to do what he wants and I really want to please him. So go ask God what we should have for supper tonight. Honey, I don't know. Just go. Okay. And he goes, comes back. What'd he say? And Adam's scratching his head. Well, all he said was, we could, we're free to eat any, from any of this. Just not that. Well, that doesn't help me at all. Are you sure he said that? That's what he said. Go, you, listen, you didn't understand what I, I need to know specifically what I need to do because I really want to please him. Okay, so get back. Okay, comes back. What did he say? He said the same thing. Honey, I think he's saying we can choose any of this. He doesn't want us to choose just that. Oh, so have you figured out what we're going to have? Yeah, let's have fruit salad. So, so, and, and, and in other words, there's some things that God says, look, you're free to choose and it's not right or wrong. And it may not even be a good, better, best thing. It's just there they are. Knock yourself out. Enjoy it. Enjoy the freedom to choose. Here's another example. Paul's talking about marriage in, in 1 Corinthians 7. And he runs across this particular scenario that that uh, God didn't really, Jesus didn't really cover as much. And look at it says here. It says he says a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. There's my loophole. Oh wait a minute, but he must belong to the Lord. You can marry anybody you wish. Just make sure they belong to the Lord. Well, what does belong to the Lord mean, Tim? Well, I think you should figure that out. Does it mean, oh, he's been baptized? I know a lot of wet people. Well, he, he's a churchgoer. Well, that's nice. Is he going to heaven? Is he going out in the streets? Is he going to go out and share the gospel? I know some of you ladies and some of you men, leadership is in your future. And you should really consider, if you're single, who you're going to marry. Because if you marry somebody that's not into leadership, boy, howdy, you're going to be miserable. Because you've got to go against them, not just the world, and not the pushback from the world and from anybody you're working with, but you're getting pushback at home. But it does say you're free to marry anybody you choose. Just one stipulation. Make sure they belong to the Lord. Now, I don't know how you are when we come to Bible interpretation. I know how I can be sometimes. We'll make that belong to the Lord fit one way or the other. Kind of like I'm going to buy a car. It's got a flat tire. That's okay. I can fix that. It's got a big dent in the fender. Ah, it's no big deal. I won't look at it. The engine won't start. Oh, little TLC and she'll run just fine. I'm going to buy it. When all the warning signs tell you... uh you need to make sure this car's in good shape. I don't mean to compare a spouse to a, a vehicle. Because we're all of us are broke somewhere. We're broke down. I get it. 
But this idea of belonging to the Lord, it might be something you want to look at a little closer. Because I've met lots of couples who regret the selection they made. And I've met some couples that are so thankful they paid attention to this encouragement. You see, the Bible isn't saying that you're supposed to marry a particular person. Like there's only one person in this world. But a particular type of person is what matters. I'm looking at Debbie and Chris Weiler. I remember years ago, she says, I'm waiting for the right guy. I was like, man, you're gutsy. You know, I got lucky. I did. I fell in. I, God was working when I wasn't thinking about the kind of spouse I'd have. I was just thinking about girls. <laughs> you know, that's all I was thinking about. And, and Denise was thinking about what kind of man. And it became a very important issue in our life. And it was very important in Debbie McAdow's life. She made it clear. I made a vow and I'm promised I'm going to get the right guy. Now she dated some guys and some of them were crazy. She goes, she was out of there before the day was over. And then she met Chris, who was pulling the same way. And they'll be the first to tell you, and I'll be the second one to tell you right behind them. Now we're not saying we're perfect people and we have perfect marriages, but we're so glad. We're so glad we're in a, a relationship that's pulling the same way. A particular type of person matters. Here's another example. How much should I give? I have people asking me this all the time. How much should I give? Don't ask a preacher that question. You stupid. You know what he's going to say, don't you? All you got. Okay. Look at this in St. Corinthians. Here's a preacher talking. He's telling the church at Corinth something. They're trying to figure out how much to give. They're taking up collections around the church. And he says this to the church at Corinth. The Christian, Remember this. The one who plants a few seeds will have a small harvest, but the one who plants a lot will have a big harvest. He said, just think about that. A farmer who lets go of a lot and risks, he's going to get a good return by faith. Then he says this, each one of you should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Well, that don't help me at all. Yes, it does. Because God's saying, you have the freedom. You have the freedom. I know sometimes you might get the impression from the pulpit or from a leader around here. I don't know if I've got as much freedom as you're talking about here, Tim. Well, let's 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 get it freed up then. Let's free it up. You decide in your heart to give. You should not give if if it makes you unhappy. I've had people say, well, I'm unhappy whenever I give, so I guess I'm not supposed to give. There we go again. Having fun with the Bible. You really think that's what he's meaning? Don't he? Because he says he God wants a cheerful giver. If you're unhappy about giving, maybe you ought to work on that happiness level. Or if you're forced to give, don't give for that reason. He said, man, that's not the motive. Under compulsion, God loves those who are happy to give. That's what He really wants. Like I said, I've had lots of people say, well, how much should I give? And I and I've said in the past, a tithe. Give give a t- give ten percent. Not because it's not in the New Testament. That's Old Testament stuff. Well, then why do you say that, Tim? It's a place to start. It's all on. It's my opinion. A place to start. Start anywhere you want. I'm just saying that's what I that's what I did. My mother taught me this. It came from her. This encouragement, and I would encourage you the same. It's a good place to start. But how much should I really give? Well, that's up to you. 
It's kind of like the young man that went in with his fiancee to a jewelry store and he's talking to the jeweler and he asks the question, how much should I spend on an engagement ring? And the jeweler cocked his head, thought a minute and said, as much as you think she's worth. Oops. But, you know, I think that's true. It's really how much how much do you how grateful are you? How much do you how much of the need that you see? You let that motivate you too, and then decide, he says, decide in your heart, he says, each of you should do that. Decide in your heart. But Tim, how do I choose between all these options that God gives me? Well, that's what I want to talk about in the next few weeks. We're going to try to give you some tools to consider using to help us nail down and narrow down this idea of what is the will of God in my life right now? Here's the last thing and then we'll be done. Number four, recognizing God's will is determined by my attitude. That's something else I notice about the will of God. That my attitude, God can reveal His will to me all He wants, but my attitude has a lot to do with whether I recognize it or even accept it. Jesus said, that, so what did He say one day? He said, ask will be given, seek and you'll find. And He says, knock and the door will be opened. What's He talking about? He's talking about how we, how we approach making choices and, and, and making opportunity. See, God wants you to know His will, church. I want to say it again. God wants you to know His will. There's a bigger question. Do I want to know His will? Do I want to know His will as much as He wants me to know His will? He says, seek it. Ask for it. Knock for it. Hmm. Am I seeking it? What's my attitude when it comes to the will of God? Man, I don't want to know what God wants me to do because it's probably something I don't want to do. Remember it's good. Always remember it's good. And it's good for you and I. Look at this in Psalms 40. David said, My God, I want to do what You want. And he says that this, Your teachings are in my heart. He says, Your teachings, what You say, are in my heart. He's made sure. I want to know. And I think it feeds on each other. My desire to want to know what You want comes from getting your teachings in my heart. My heart's involved. Your teachings are involved. See, my heart, your heart has a huge impact on whether or not I see and obey the will of God. We see examples like this throughout the whole Bible. You have Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, who is trying to determine whether he should raise taxes or keep them the same his very first day on the job as king. And we find out that he doesn't listen to the older, wiser men who say, keep it the same. He listens to the young fellows who say, you've got to show them that you mean business and you've got power and you've got to prove yourself. So raise those taxes. And when he did, he split the country in two. There was a civil war. You have other examples. Jehoiakim, who's a king, who, who as he reads the word of God, he slices it with a penknife and puts it in the fire. That's his attitude about the will of God. He cuts out the places he doesn't like. He picks and chooses. And you have Israel over and over again, which they rebel against God. 
and God puts them into some some horrible situation. They call out to God and repent. They come back to God. And because of their stubbornness, he keeps saying, you're stubborn. You're full of pride. You're greedy. You're selfish. You have these things in your heart. And it's keeping you from listening to my will. And it's keeping you from doing my will. It's as simple as that. My heart has a lot to do with this. Parable of the soils, the condition of my heart, determines whether the Word of God, the will of God, is going to get in my life. And so many times, i found this to be true in my life, I have come to the Bible with my mind and my motives jaded by my selfishness, my stubbornness, my pride, my greed. And so I miss the Word of God. And I miss the will of God. And see, I have, you and I have to set these things aside if we're really going to see and recognize the will of God. Jesus said it this way, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Jesus Christ made it really clear, I'm not here to do what I want. I'm here to do what God wants, what my Father wants. He prayed that, not my will be done, but yours be done. That's how he prayed about it all the time. That's what he was about. And in Romans 12, we're encouraged. Paul encourages the Romans, encourages you and I this morning with these words. Don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way you think. Then you will always be able to determine what God really wants. What is good and pleasing and perfect. And one translation would say, His good, pleasing and perfect will. And it comes from changing the way I think. What's the thinking that needs to change? Well, I need to take it off myself and place it on the Lord. I don't need to think about what I want so much. I don't need to think about what will happen to me if I choose to do the will of God. I need to get the attention and the thinking and the mental energy off of myself and putting on trusting the Lord. And then I determine, then I'm able to recognize what He really wants. Let me ask you, what kind of thinking do you need to change this morning? What is a door that you're facing? A choice, a decision you're facing right now? How are you going to determine what God wants? Is some of it hidden? And He doesn't want it hidden? He wants to let you know. Why is it hard to see? Better yet, is there an option is he giving you options? You're going, I just don't know which one, which option we're going to have. You know, a couple of weeks I've asked Gary to preach on praying before I decide. Looking at how prayer has a big impact on our choices that we make and the decisions we make. So if there's a choice in front of you, I just want to encourage you this morning to look at your heart and desire to know the will of God it's so good. You have a card in your bulletin and in that card you can there's maybe a prayer request you'd like to make or a decision you'd like to make today. Again, I want to remind you if you want to help if you want to help Mark Church on the Streets, you could write on there uh, have him contact me if in case you forget to meet him out in the foyer. May God bless you this week as you face and go through these doors. And may God bless you to recognize the will of God. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this morning, for your word. Thank you, Father, for your will, how good it is, how it's good for us. The, the way you work everything out for good is a mystery, is a mystery sometimes, but it seems like you always just do this. And I know for some of us, I say seems because some of us are in some things right now. We don't see how you could work anything good out of that. But let us be encouraged by people like Joseph and the Apostle Paul who both connected the dots after they got through it and could see what you were trying to do. Father, help us just, instead of trying to connect the dots, maybe just connect with you and trust you in whatever situation we're in. As discouraging and as painful as it can be, clear our minds, help us control our emotions so we can think clearly and hear your voice. Is what we ask, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.